Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.magaw, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Welcome to the Follow the Brand podcast. I am your host, Grant McGall, CEO of Five Star BDM, where we help you to build a five-star brand that people will follow. Dedicated DJ, programmer, and coder becomes the longest-tenured CIO at Jackson Health System, defined by preparation and planning. My next guest, Michael Garcia, was challenged to learn medical terminology and the medical workflows early in his career in order to save lives. Since then, he has demonstrated the foresight to implement telehealth, predictive analytics, and artificial intelligence and machine learning tools over his 17-year career. Garcia has learned to communicate the why behind decisions for his entire staff to ensure adoption of new policies to build strong working relationships. Michael A. Garcia is the Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Jackson Health System, one of the largest public health systems in the United States. Before being named the Chief Information Officer in 2012, Mr. Garcia was the Corporate Director of Information Services for Jackson Health System and previously worked at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Mr. Garcia is a strategic, innovative thinker whose vision brings a unique blend of healthcare knowledge, information technology, and business acumen. He has over 20 years of experience working with large, complex healthcare organizations specializing in IT healthcare informatics, diagnostic imaging, health information management, and revenue cycle management. He is a well-versed in establishing governance, policies, and platforms for technology to facilitate collaboration between the business side of operations and the technical side. He has a proven record in successfully executing enterprise-wide clinical and financial information systems implementations. In addition to holding numerous professional and technical certifications, Mr. Garcia received his undergraduate and Master of Science in Management Information System degrees from Florida International University's Chapman Business School. Let us welcome Michael Garcia to the Follow the Brand Podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. 
Welcome, everyone, to the Follow Brand Podcast. You know, I'm going to keep it very, very real today. We're going to be in South Florida. We're going to be at one of the iconic hospitals in all the whole nation. We're talking about the public system at Jackson Health System has been in our area for a long, long time. And we're going to bring it to a technology level. You know, who's been doing things around technology for Jackson Health to help our patient population get better. And what I'm talking about, Mike Garcia. Mike Garcia has been at Jackson Health 15 plus years. He's been the head CIO for the last 10 plus years. So if you want to ask about where is that intersection between healthcare and technology and who's the man behind that, I felt there was no better person to have that discussion than Mr. Mike Garcia. So if you would like to introduce yourself, Mike, so we can get started, I'd appreciate it. Grant, I think you did an amazing job. I didn't know you knew so much about me. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, I've been with Jackson now close to 17 years, uh, over 10 years as the CIO, as I think, believe the longest standing CIO. Uh, and it's been a very exciting time. In, in the last 10 years, from a technology perspective, uh, during the whole COVID uh, years, the acceleration of technology and the use of technology really at the bedside. Uh, there's never been another another time like it. And that's true. I mean, here we are coming off the heels of a pandemic that nobody saw coming. You got your metal tested. The metal got tested. But before we go there, I want to know about the man. I want to know about the mission. And what drives you as an individual? I know you're a family man. I know that you are definitely around a, a, a good company man. But what's behind you? What what drives you in today's world? You know, it's something where if you were to ask my wife, she'll tell you Mike's about family and Mike's about Jackson. Uh, not a lot about uh, outside of that. Uh, I'm really dedicated to our mission at Jackson and obviously dedicated as a father of four uh, all about my family. Some of the things that happen in, in my family is what really drives me from a healthcare IT perspective. Many years ago, uh, I had a family member. He was six years old that in playing in one of these, my gyms, little kids, gyms was tossed by one of the employees into a ball pit and they twisted his, his name is Chris. They, they twisted Chris's upper two vertebrates on his neck. It was accident. Uh, Chris was airlifted to Jackson. And Chris had a neurosurgeon um, operate on him in, in a trauma. And luckily, Chris came out of it okay. He had to wear a neck brace for a year, but but he ended up okay. One of the, one of the things that ties that to me is the night before, that neurosurgeon had reached out to me. And had asked me if I was wanting to help him out with his Wi-Fi network at home. And I could have said, hey, you know, those days are beyond me, my title, my this, you know, go call IT support. And, and I did. I obviously helped him out as much as I, I could. It was uh, the late Dr. Batia and an amazing neurosurgeon. And I was able to help him with his Wi-Fi connection in Coral Gables, Florida over the phone. And in addition to that, I showed him how to VPN into Jackson and be able to see diagnostic images at Jackson. And I was able to show him how to, how to look at the EHR at Jackson at the time, Cerno, which we still have today. 
Well, little did I know that post-surgery of Chris, I go see Dr. Bhatia to thank him. And he let me know, no, thank you, Michael. And I, I said, why? And he said, well, because you were able to do that for me on that Friday evening, the night before, I was able to see Chris's CT scans from my house in Coral Gables. And I was able to direct the trauma OR, what they needed to do to prep Chris uh, to be able, as soon as I got there, perform the procedure. If you hadn't helped me, those 30 minutes could have decided if Chris would have been paralyzed or dead. And I was like, wait a second, something that I do from a technology perspective has that much influence at the bedside in a trauma, in an OR scenario. I mean, when growing up, we're all told, hey, do you want to be a doctor or a lawyer? And I can't see blood. Uh, so I was like, there's no way I'm going to be a, a doctor. But in many ways, what we do in healthcare IT we are assisting those nurses. We are assisting those doctors to provide better care, quicker care, more efficient care through quality also. Because in a lot of ways, we're reminding that nurse, hey, this is the wrong patient. Hey, this is the wrong dose. This is the wrong IV bag. Uh, many ways that we could sort of dummy proof the system uh, to be able to help and, and treat patients and, and guard patients from a quality perspective. So very passionate about that. Just because, like Chris's story, I have many other stories of friends, neighbors, my own children, my own wife, my own grandmother uh, at Jackson. And thanks to Jackson, we're in a better situation uh, from a clinical perspective, from a healthcare perspective in my family. That is that is a wonderful story. Talk about why. Why do you do what you do and not realizing just at a simplified moment of helping someone with their Wi-Fi connection at home could have that. So that showed you the dependency we have now on technology. It is a part of us. It's totally integrated in what we do because it can affect time and can affect communication at a very high level. I want to take you back a few years. I want to take you back before Jackson. I want to take you back like what were you doing? What were you? What what got you into this field? What were you doing before you got into technology? And what kind of was that door opening into uh, information IT? I don't know if you really want to know that, but <laughs> so I desktop uh, individual uh, from an IT perspective, and at the same time, I was a DJ, a disc jockey here in You're South the Florida. Third DJ I've interviewed. Just so you know, that's very popular. Something about being a DJ is very. Hey. Extremely. Most DJs I know somehow, some way ended up in technology. Uh, it was one of those things that I said, I, you know, no one's going to want a club DJ or a wedding DJ, you know, later in life. So I do have to pick a career. And at the time I was going into business and, and a new career was developing in management information systems. And I said, wow, you know, managing a team of IT experts and, and growing that space. I, I feel that that's in it for me. I, I was always a programmer. I was always a, a techie kind of guy, but I didn't want to just be coding for the rest of my life. I didn't want to be a DBA for the rest of my life. I wanted to interact with people. I wanted to find solutions. I was always 
even when it came to the DJing side of the house, I really enjoyed the improvisation of that. So if something happened in, in a club, something happened in the middle of a wedding, a quinceañera party or something like that, I always wanted to be able to be improvise and always be ready for something to break down. So my needles on my turntables, I had redundant needles. I had redundant equipment, redundant amps, redundant speakers, just in case if something was to go wrong in an event, I didn't want it to be because of me that the event wasn't successful. Uh, so when you apply it into technology, everything having to do with disaster recovery, business continuity, making sure that the systems are going to be up and running and it's not due to you or the lack of preparation, the lack, lack of planning, that a patient's life is is at risk, you know? So those are the kind of things that I, I, I did early on. Now, I took on many roles in IT. Like I said, desktop, I went to server to servers, I went to networking, I went to project management, I went to application support. And early on in my career, I, I got to do diagnostic imaging. I, I remember when our, you know, world-renowned, a uh, transplant surgeon, Dr. Tazakis, came to me one day. He r- had ripped off a magazine uh, off an of airport uh, magazine on a plane and said, Mike, I want to be able to look at donor CT images from Greece when I'm at Greece to decide if that's a fatty liver or not, to see if that's an okay uh, organ to transplant into a patient. And I don't want to lose the opportunity just because I'm not in South Florida on a potential donor on one of our patients. Uh, can you see how I could get CT scans from Jackson to be seen uh, in Greece? And I said, sure, Dr. Zizak, it's not a problem. If you need to see something from point A to point B, I'm your guy. He walked out of my office and I had to Google CT. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> realized it was a CAT scan, realized there was something called DICOM 3.0, and how in the world can I get digital images from a CT scanner into an archive for, at the time, set up four modems to have redundancy for him to dial in back in the days? Yeah, yeah. That's what my office sounded like when he would dial into that computer for him to be able to see diagnostic images from our Jackson CT scanners. Uh, but at the end of the day, when he would do that, I knew that there was a potential donor. He was reviewing the possibility of saving other people's lives. So it was a very exciting for me to know that I was contributing that way. I had the technical skills. I wasn't part of the medicine side of the house. And, and I'm very honest at the beginning, I, I really wasn't. I was always more on the, on the technology side. But through the years, obviously, I've had to learn not only the medical terms, but also the medical workflows. And how do we continue to provide solutions when someone rips a magazine article and tells you, hey, I need a solution. And coming up with that solution, that innovation is what drives me. That there's yeah. a there's a patient always at the end of that, you know? That's the thing. I was just thinking about that. You know, you walk into a data center, right? You walk into a data center and you're gonna see some equipment, you're gonna see you know, some racks, and you're gonna see some blinking lights. Right. And you don't know what those blinking lights are really doing, what's really happening. As you just said, it's not just, yeah, there's a this infrastructure there. Yes, there's compute and there's storage there. Yeah. But what's really happening on the other side? And you just gave two great stories about what's really happening on the other side. You are enabling a, a medical or, or a clinical 
decision or some kind of patient experience to be elevated because of those blinking lights. Would you agree with that? No doubt, no doubt. It's not fantasy football. It's not a fantasy football server. Uh, there, there's definitely uh, patience on the other side. And, and it was so exciting because Jackson being a level one trauma, uh, prior to a patient will come in, let's say, with a gunshot. And we would take an x-ray with a portable x-ray machine and take it to a, a film. And we had to develop it. And, you know, once you went through that process with the chemicals and developing the film in the dark room and, and then showing the film to that trauma surgeon and they see and they said the patient moved i i i can't tell can, can you take another image and then they take another image another 20 minutes go by to finally you know deciding what they're going to do 40 minutes on a trauma case that's life or death yeah uh, you know a minute a minute in a trauma case that's life or death the fact we're able to transition with digital radiography portable machines that you take an image in three seconds three seconds Wow. That trauma surgeon is looking at it, making a decision to save your life. Uh, there's nothing, nothing compared to that. You know, so we technology has been able to limit, uh, become way more efficient and effective on how we, um, you know, treat patients, take care of patients and, and the quality because of it. Well, you just said something I, I didn't even realize like years ago, you're talking 40, 40 minutes, you know, to do that function now can be done in three seconds. You talk about digital transformation. That is a great transformation. That's why we, you know, you hear about some of the things that don't always go right. You know, I think in our society, unfortunately, we focus on the negative and we don't focus on that 97% of the time we're doing the right thing. You know, we're no, doing no. the right thing. So I, this is the question I want to ask you. Now, this was decades ago. I know we've advanced much more than yeah, just yeah. that. I understand that. I understand that. Go ahead. But here we are now. We're in 2023. Now, you've just gone through probably the most challenging situation in, 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 in your hospital career, right? You know, two years, COVID, back to back, you're getting vaccines in. I mean, life and death is every day. And I was talking to another gentleman about this, like, wasn't just like a hurricane that might last you know, let's say, you know, over a week's time that you're preparing for. This is over two years of a constant battle that, that went on. You had to utilize what you had right now as far as technology to get the job done. What grade would you give yourself for that and why? Oof. Myself or the organization? However you like to answer that best. Okay, I, I'll give Jackson an A plus 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 plus. I'll, I'll give Mike Garcia a B. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, the the reason for that is, you know, I, I I do consider Jackson having some kind of spiritual angel, somebody overseeing because of the mission we have. Even six months prior to the pandemic, we were using uh polycom technology for telemedicine and and video conferencing and it was getting outdated and my team came up to me and said hey, you know we should we should switch to zoom and i was sort of resistant to it it's a it's a web cloud-based solution you know it's better if we keep it in-house do we really want all our meetings everything you know being served up through the cloud zoom was fairly new at the time. Uh, you read articles about security and stuff like that. 
point-to-point connections, encryption, and I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. And my team felt very strong that that was the right thing to do. And I supported it. And, and we went ahead and, and acquired Zoom. If we would not had Zoom when the pandemic hit and we had to send thousands of employees home and had to do telemedicine visits to our patients for outpatient ambulance services, I, I don't know where we'd be right now. That, that's how much, just one little technology. And there was other technology like uh, WebEx and other, other solutions out there. But during that time, those other solutions had a lot of issues. Uh, there was times that they were, they just could not take the amount of volume that they were never expecting to have. And Zoom was pretty reliable. Zoom didn't have those, those kind of issues, those kind of outages. So that, that was one thing. Uh, because that was ground zero. That's when we got our first COVID patient at Jackson in March of 2020, right? It was 2020, 2019. I'm already so confused. 2020. All right. Uh, From then was all about getting the data, right? We needed to start reporting. We needed to know where we are. We needed to know where these patients were. So Jackson has invested in a proprietary solution that we like to call Overwatch, which really overwatches and surveils all our patient data. And so we were easily able to track as soon as a patient was positive, where that patient location was and which other patients that patient had been near and which employees that patient had been near. So we were able to start communicating, saying, hey, on the transplant floor where you have the most immunosuppressant patients, uh, you have a COVID positive patient, get them out of there. <laughs> yeah. Because at that time we weren't testing everybody, right? We we're only testing folks that were uh, potential uh, possible COVID patients based on symptoms. Then we had to switch our protocols to start testing everybody because there was a lot of people that didn't have symptoms that were positive. And just the amount of data that we were able to, to turn through to be able to start reporting to the county, to the state and local governments and federal governments and and everything like that was was huge and then came the volume of patients we started receiving yeah and then it was all about building icus overnight being able to convert a unit to a covid unit and start splitting people up these are potential can't make some these are none can't make some and and just the amount of effort that it took to to manage patient flow from an organizational perspective and and willing to help anyone out from the community, anybody that needed assistance, anybody that needed help, especially early on through all the testing that needed to be conducted. A lot of people were curious if they were positive or not or had symptoms and were curious if they were positive or not. And then our, even our own workforce, right? We had to maintain a certain level of workforce to take care of our patients. And even our workforce were starting to be impacted. Being able to do telemedicine in-house to treat our own patients, moms that couldn't see their baby in the ICU, dads that weren't able to be part of the delivery of their baby or, or visitors with their loved ones during that time, we had to start making internal, within our four walls, telemedicine solutions for doctors and nurses to be able to see patients outside the room without having to don and off PPE 
and then wanting the patients, communicating the patients and making decisions. So when we were going to go into the room and done and off uh, PPE trying to conserve it, it was because it was necessary for the patient, either intubation, extubation, uh, communication, whatever it may be. But we weren't wasting PPE unnecessarily. Um, when it came to uh, moms being able to see their, their babies in the NICU, so we set up cards, we set up tablets, we set up phones, folks to be able to FaceTime or folks to be able to use Zoom to, to see their loved ones, to see, have communication, because it was a very lonely point in time for patients not being able to have uh, you know, their loved ones with them. Uh, visitation restrictions uh, came into play, and, and it was tough. Um, it's so, so many di different things uh, occurred. And then we started leveraging our own AI ML solutions to start predicting. This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. And the first surge went away and we're on the downward slope and we're like, finally, we're out of this. And then our ML, um, our predictive model all of a sudden spiked. I believe it was like on June 10th, said, hey, you guys are going to have a big surge. And we're like, something's wrong with this model. We, we got to do something. Something's not working. Something's going on. Why is this thing saying we're going to have a spike if we're on the downward slope? All of a sudden, like on June 12th, bingo, oof, another spike hits. We're like, how the heck did this thing really, truly predict, really, truly know that we're going to have another spike? And and we're aggregating state data. We're aggregating our own data and, and, and many, many other uh, features to be able. It was an SIR model. And this thing hit. And it was pretty accurate throughout the entire uh, pandemic. So we're depending on it to know, you know, should we get ready from an ICU perspective? Should we get ready from a search perspective? Should we get ready from a lockdown perspective? There was many things that we were using the model for, which was which was great. Um but yeah, COVID accelerated so many things for us. And the fact that we were able to leverage our Overwatch solution uh, was great. You know, if, if a patient was negative and they came to Jackson, it was a simple text message back to them saying, hey, you're negative. You can have that peace of mind. If you were positive, obviously, we weren't sending you a text message. We're picking up the phone, calling you. But just the load or letting nurses know this patient is positive. So I don't have to keep checking the record. Are they positive? Are they positive? Are they positive? Yeah. Was, right. Here, we'll let, we'll let you know in real time as soon as we know, so you don't have to keep important checking. information to have. And be yes. you that the way that you did, and you set up the systems uh, to be able to work in concert with what's happening. You know, you have the physical plane of reality and you have the digital plane. 
And sometimes they talk well together, sometimes they don't. But if you're depending on that data to be very, very accurate, predictive data, some people don't know what ML means. That's machine oh, learning. Machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence, intelligence, automated intelligence. Yeah, you, here's my question. I got another question for you because I, 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 I still didn't even talk about vaccines, but uh, I'll, I'll let you ask your question. But okay. I, I would like to this might tie into the vaccine because I know you were one of the okay. first test sites to actually get the vaccine and be able to distribute it. Right. One out of five in the entire state. Wow. And that, that means you're, you know, trusted, trusted provider. My question was this, and it's more about on the technology side because this. Here's the thing that we hear a lot in, in healthcare is that first they were very cloud adverse. And I heard you were saying similar things. And a lot of times that comes to security, you know, PHI data. There's reasons why we don't want this out on the in, in any kind of uh, public forum because um, you know, we're reliable for that. So you've got these worlds, you've got traditional networking, meaning you've got on-premise data center, then you've got co-location data center, then you've got public cloud. Do you now work with all three of those? Do you have preferences? Do you have, you do one over the other? How, how do you view that whole ecosystem? Uh, it, it, there's so many different aspects of it in, in the way that I make that kind of decision for our organization. So the, the first one is security. I remember when cloud first came, it was all about, oh, don't worry, if Amazon has to secure their stuff, who better and, and all the other vendors, they're going to take care of all your security needs. Now, how many security tools are in the market for you to secure your own data in the cloud? So it's it, as things evolve, you realize uh, for us, Security is number one, because the more you have your data out of your control, really, and I feel like when you're in the cloud, you're on a plane and you are not driving. Uh, so whatever happens, happens, and you just pray for the best kind of thing. Uh, but a lot of Seattle's, a lot of individuals feel like, well, I passed that liability to somebody else, that risk to somebody else. So if something happens, it's their fault. And, and that's a way of looking at things where you play the blame game on whose fault it is. But I'm responsible for the public health and as a safety net of the only safety net in Miami-Dade County, really our community. That I take on that responsibility very heavily in my shoulders. So when something were to happen, it's not, well, it's not my fault. It is my fault. So I'd rather have more control uh, when I can. It's gotten to a point in many industries with many solutions that you cannot um, have an on-prem solution. The only offering is a cloud-based solution. Mm -hmm. The other thing that deters me sometimes from the cloud is that it's not that the data stored remotely because I do have a lot of data stored remotely because of the fact that we live in South Florida with all the hurricanes, with all the storms. It's not safe to just have one instance, one copy in South Florida. What concerns me more is that it's a multi-tenant. So it's not like you have your single family home located somewhere else and it's only your home. You're living in a condo building <laughs> With many apartments, right? It's a multi-tenant environment. So something happens to the building, all the tenants inside are done. 
Very right. So those are the kind of things that bring me more concerned in addition to with the cloud. Not only is it a multi-tenant, but it's a subscription. And being a subscription model, when my mother-in-law does not pay the Netflix bill of my house, my kids won't get to watch Netflix. You know, <laughs> she gave it to them early on. She pays for it. And I've never taken that on. And if she doesn't pay for it, guess what? My kids don't watch Netflix. And it's sort of similar when it comes to a cloud-based service. You sign in a subscription. And if for some reason, being a county hospital and understanding that being a government institution, there are going to be ups and downs from a financial perspective, and then taking on all the financial constraints that healthcare is taking on at this moment, right? You have the rising cost of pharmaceuticals, the rising cost of supplies, the rising cost of technology, the rising cost of everything, the rising cost of employees. Yeah. Uh, yet everyone wants to pay you less. So just imagine that in this world, where gas is going up, groceries are going up, your your employer is trying to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you a pay cut. And, and that's really what's going on in healthcare. I cannot get into a situation where I don't own something perpetually that I control the environment, where if I can't pay that subscription, it's okay. I can still run payroll. I can still take care of patients. I can still continue operating Jackson. Jackson operations do not shut down because of technology. It could shut down because of supplies. It could shut down because of meds. It could shut down because of lack of nurses and doctors, but it won't be because of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's getting very difficult because as folks in the application world have figured out, hey, if we put everybody on a subscription, it's part of their budget. It's part of their run rate. We just increase a certain percentage to account for inflation, which is through the roof. But uh, every single year, we don't have to be having these uncomfortable conversations every five years that look like a heartbeat when it comes to capital investments. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, when do you see the sales team? Right before contracts, right? Uh, six months before that contract expires, all of a sudden, every sales guy is your best friend. They've been with you all along. They've been following up on the success of Jackson all along. And now we're here to renew the contract. They figured out that if I put them in a subscription model, they're hooked and they can't get out. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, being the county, once again, hospital, safety net hospital, taking care of our patients of the community. I, I don't like taking those unnecessary risks unless I have no other alternative. No, I, I hear what you're saying. Cause there's, and I, I am a believer in the hybrid model my, myself. There's certain things like you brought up, like a, a Zoom type application that work better in a cloud type uh, application because of the variability, the flexibility and the use case. So it's a use case type thing, but having all your eggs in one basket as we know, that could be very prob problematic. Um, so you've got to do your due diligence and understand what workloads work best 
in certain things. I always looked at the cloud as a more of a burstable type application, and I because uh, I worked on both sides. I you know so I, I understand it on both sides of the ball. But before we conclude, I want to I want to get back because I don't, I know you want to talk about this and about when the vaccines hit when they finally became available because you're 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 a man on fire right and then. They come to you. This is the government coming to you like, hey, we need you to distribute this vaccine. How did that affect you from a technology perspective? Yeah. First of all, we didn't want to just give the vaccines to our patients. We were afforded a lot of vaccines and we wanted to make sure we got it out to the community. So we partnered with all South Florida hospitals, although we had to remain the custodians of it because we were given those vaccines and then the number of vaccines we're given, we're going to be given a second dose to make sure the individuals will get the two doses they needed. So if we lend it out a vaccine to a another Miami-Dade County or, or Broward County um, organization, we needed to make sure that we also were going to give them the second one. So inventory of all the vaccines was extremely important. And we never wanted to give someone a vaccine and we weren't going to be able to give them a second one. Or we never wanted to give somebody an appointment to receive a vaccine that they weren't going to get a second one or that we weren't going to have a vaccine to give them. So for us, that whole distribution and keeping track of the inventory was the first system we came up with. The second system is how do we distribute to our community, our residents, right? We didn't want to just reach out to our patients. A lot of healthcare across, uh, healthcare systems across the nation said, okay, we have patient portals. We know who our patients are. We know who our above 65 patients are. Let's go ahead and just reach out to our existing patient population and schedule them through the patient portal, schedule them through their existing patient account, MRN, whatever it may be, an appointment to receive a vaccine. We didn't want to do that because we knew we needed to get this out to the entire community. So we worked with our schools, our faith based organizations, community centers, and we built an app that anyone in the community, not needing to be a Jackson patient, could register for an appointment and be able to receive a vaccine appointment and know that when they showed up, they were going to be given a vaccine. And we set up three initial sites to, to distribute the vaccines. And over New Year's, um, December of 2020, until 21, we came up with that appointment application and we're ready to, to give our first vaccine. Uh, I think it was like January the 7th, January the 6th or something like that. It was, I believe it was a Monday. And we said, you know, we'll, we'll probably, I think we had like 12,000 vaccines, first dose to give out. And we're like, maybe like in three hours, four hours, we'll, we'll give out all the appointments. You know, it's very Everybody's requesting it. I remember our, our CEO reached out to me. He's like, hey, I'll call you like in two hours to see how many appointments you booked and how many appointments we have left to, to give out. I was like, okay, okay, not, not, not a problem. The moment we were supposed to turn it on, I believe, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we said, let's turn it on at 945 to test it, and we'll turn it back off, and then we'll really turn it on at 10. We turned it on at 9.45 and 9,000 appointments were booked. Wow. And when I turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. So we turn it off. 
And we're like, is this right? 9,000 appointments were booked in like 15. less than a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of that IBM commercial that they see one sale, two sale, and then all of a sudden they start getting a bunch of sales. So we start reviewing the data and we're like, yeah, we booked 9,000 appointments. These are all unique patients. These are all. Um, so then we, we said, okay, at 10, we'll open up the remaining 3,000. And at 10, we opened up the remaining 3,000. And within like 15 seconds, 30 seconds, they're all gone. So when we start getting the bad press, Jackson's system crashed. We're like, no system crashed. All 12,000 vaccines are gone. They're, they're accounted for. They're booked. They're, there's, there's no crash. But no one expected. So this is like 10.05. And we're getting all the media saying, when are you opening up the site? <laughs> all the vaccines are gone. Uh, you know, folks are reaching out to me from within the organization. Are you going to open it? I was like, we open and close it. It's done. Uh, the other. So, yeah. It was, <laughs> so it was quite an experience. What started happening because of it, folks started using bots hmm. to start as soon as we were open, the bots would start taking appointments. So we had, we realized that. We saw it was the same IPs hitting, same certain things hitting. So we accounted for it. We started using CAPTCHA. We started doing a lot of other things to prevent abuse of certain individuals taking this, you know, um, pandemic, this unfortunate circumstance to benefit from. So we, we were always having to build a better mousetrap throughout the entire process. But very proud of the organization, very proud of the volunteers we, we got within the organization, within the community, like the fire department and stuff like that to help us yeah. out to distribute the vaccines. It was just an amazing uh, collaboration of all to, to make that happen until the vaccine finally were available everywhere. Right? You get them at Publix, you get them at Walgreens, CVS, wherever, wherever you want to, you saw a vaccine. But until then, uh, we distributed hundreds of thousands of vaccines to our community. No, I remember it very vividly when that happened. You were one of the first sites, I think Memorial ended up with some with some vaccines as well, but you were both yeah. in the public hospitals and you stood up and you had to weather that storm and, and get out there and, and use an untested system and, and, and use it because it was life and death. I want to ask one more question. We're going to conclude. And that's questions to yourself. And it's about your your particular brand. I want you to talk to that PAX administrator that started so many years ago, because there's still many PAX administrators out here saying, you're going to be the CIO. What would you say to that PAX administrator to uh, help him understand that he would have the confidence and the skill set to be able to lead an organization in health IT at Jackson Health System? You know, if I had to speak to my old self, right? It's, you, you need to have the confidence to be able to speak on a subject matter that you know and not pretend that you know everything. Uh, you know, when it comes to my own team, if I have a line employee or so, somebody in the room that's the one that's supporting and the one doing the nuts and bolts. I'm not going to try to speak that I know and understand the level that they do. Because many times when I do that, I, I don't sound too intelligent because I really don't know. And at the same time, 
those individuals that are hearing me saying, wow, if this is the guy that knows the most and this is the way that he's communicating this, I can only imagine the other individuals that are part of his team. If I let that line employee that is the expert speak on it and does an amazing job because that's what they do all day and understand it better than anybody, then they say, wow, if that guy knows that, I can only imagine what Mike knows. <laughs> you know, the, the, those kind of things. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of times folks don't speak up because of fear, because of different reasons, consequences. You know, I, I wish I would have spoken up more early on in, in my career. Uh, and that way, I, th I think we would have gotten through things a lot quicker. Uh, a lot of my career, I've spent more on educating than I have working on the technology. Because one of the things that's so important is the why. Why is it that you're doing that, Mike? Why Why don't you just put everything in the cloud? Why? Why? You know, if if I spend more time explaining the why I'm doing things and people say, oh, yeah, makes perfect sense. That's it. You, you did it once. There's no free lunch. And you went through it. And But when folks don't understand the why, mm -hmm. a lot of times, especially in technology, especially in the last 10 years in healthcare, folks are like, oh, there they go again, making another change. And a lot of folks assume that we just want to make change because we want to be in cool, neat technology. And that's not the case at all. Uh, the case is there's a lot of regulatory requirements. There's a lot of enhancements. There's a lot of things that benefit that once you use the technology, a lot of times you say, oh, well, this is amazing. Why weren't we using this before? But the resistance of change and not really understanding the why, uh, I think that hurts. And like I said, there's no free lunch. You're going to spend the rest of the time trying to explain or people not buying into the change and not adopting and having to re-implement things over and over and over because folks don't really understand why I have to make that change. Why do I have to do what I need to do? So I don't know if I really answered your question. I know there's many things that I would do, but I, but I think working on change management and really speaking up and explaining the folks the why, they might not agree, uh, but at least they know why. No, what you just said there is most important. It's what's top of mind. And that there is a lot of times I notice in a lot of organizations at certain levels of where you sit in the organization that you don't always get the why. You don't always understand. And because you don't understand, you don't pick up the ball and run with it as fast and hard as you could. So good explanation. I, I feel that everybody, especially if you are a part of a team, that everybody has a responsibility to do their very, very best. And then we have the the responsibility, whoever you are, to make sure that they get the playbook. Here's the playbook, and this is why we're doing it. So I, I thank you for doing that. I think you've been doing a phenomenal job, or you wouldn't have been doing it for so long. I did not know that you are the longest-serving CIO here in, in South Florida at Jackson, at Jackson, at Jackson. Okay, well, well, it might be. I think if I think about it, you you might hold the title right there. <laughs> I hold the title. So, but I appreciate you. you taking the time. If anyone needs to get in touch with you, what what is the best possible way? Email, uh, you know, Michael Garcia at jhsmiami.org. Um, that's really the way. I I'm not much of a social media guy for all the right reasons. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, Villarreal would be the best. Well, there's one other thing that people need to know about Mark Garcia. He is a huge Miami Dolphin fan. Yes. Right at this point, we don't know if they won or lose in the playoffs, but hey, go Dolphins, right? Gold Dolphins, gold defense. We're going to need a lot of their support, cause a lot of turnovers. You know, let's see how we hold field position throughout this weekend against the Bills. Uh, it's tough when you're dealing with your third string quarterback, but gold Dolphins and, you know, how Hootie and the Bluefish have, have always said, Dolphins made me cry. And for many years, the <laughs> Dolphins have been making me cry, but still, true loyal fan and supporter of our local teams, such as the Dolphins and the Heat. Well, I think Morgan's, we're going to do, do great. I think we've got the foundation to be a good team for years to come. We're no sure some things. I think we're going to be a strong team in that AFC without a question. I love you, loving the Heat and all our local local teams that are doing so great. Yep. So I want to encourage our all, all of our fans, my entire audience, your entire audience, the entire Jackson family. They want to tune in to all the episodes of Follow the Brand at www.5starbdm. That is B for brand, D for development, and for masters.com. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you, Grant. Pleasure.